Let me open up my mixer and kill my Chrome sound so it doesn't loop back. All right, let's go ahead and fire it up. All right, ladies, gentlemen, everybody else. We're, uh, we're just now getting started. Give us a second to get set up. Uh, we see we had Brad back for part two. Uh, and I'm sure I already got questions lined up, and I'm sure everybody has thoughts, ideas, suggestions, especially now in coronavirus time. Uh, you know, there's just constant speculation, ideas, suggestions, unsurety around what can be done, what can't be done, what should be done, what, what liability is there. Um, so, of course, better to get it from an expert than to uh, wing it, right? So... Just give us a second, getting queued up here, and we will get the show started. Stand by. Brad, how's Florida treating you, buddy? So far, so good. About okay. 80, uh, what is it now? It's uh, 86 and sunny today. Well, that's, I mean, listen, I, I would love for 86. Hopefully, it's coming to a Pennsylvania near me. Yes, soon enough. Soon enough. They keep having <laughs> those nasty polar vortexes or whatever they're doing. That's really messing up your day. Yeah, actually, a buddy of mine actually mentioned that uh, – the reason why everybody's actually the social distancing is working in the Northeast because it's bad. It's just the weather's been horrible outside. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> so nobody actually wanted to go out and actually do anything. It's right? a bigger plan. It's a bigger plan. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's all good, but mm -hmm. warmer weather's coming. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, see oh, how many man. people are out and about. Right. Mm -hmm. All right. So as we're just about finished on the setup, let's, um, Let's throw the first question out there, Brad. You ready? Always ready. All right. As an employer, can you mandate to your employees that they have to get tested, go to the doctor, self-quarantine if they feel that they're ill? Like, what is there? Is there a legality behind that? Is this just down to your your uh, handbook? Like, what's what's the answer? I know there's probably several variants of it, but that's a general ask that seems to be out there. Right. So. You know, I'll tell you that, um, you know, generally speaking, everyone's, everyone's circumstance is going to be a little different, right? But we, can, we have guidance from the CDC uh, and from other um, pundits in the government that are interpreting what the regulations are. And you have the Americans with Disability Act as well. So as far as mandatory medical testing of employees, and, you know, there are two questions. One, can you force an employee to get tested? And then second, can an employer actually administer a test, right, to detect the presence of the coronavirus, COVID-19 virus, before permitting the employee to come back to the workplace? So those are sort of interrelated questions, and they're, they're important. And what the, uh, while we don't have clear exactly clear guidance. We do have some guidance. If we look to the Americans with Disabilities Act, as well as some CDC um, uh, uh, advisory opinions that have been issued, um, what it says is that uh, mandatory medical testing of an employee has to be job-related, 
okay? And it has to be consistent with business necessity. So job-related, consistent with business necessity. Now, if you're going to take that, those elements, those standards, and you apply them to the current pandemic, what we interpret that to mean right now is that employers can take steps to determine if the employees coming into the work site, into the workplace, have COVID-19 uh, because an individual in the workplace poses a direct threat, right? Which obviously has ramifications for job and consistent with business necessity, keeping people healthy. So an employer can choose, if it wants to, to administer that kind of a test before it enters the work, before the employee enters the workplace. And I guess extrapolating that out, you can also require your employees to have a test before they come into the workplace. Now, Again, for COVID-19, this doesn't sure. now all of a sudden apply to, you know, can I have them uh, tested for some VD or something like that? It, again, it has to be job-related and consistent with business necessity. And I think that in these days with this pandemic, that would be an easy standard to meet with COVID-19 testing. Yeah. Does that apply to temperature checks? Does that apply to how, can, how often they have to do this? Mm -hmm. You know, can an employer that, you know, say, hey, for precautions, I need you to go home for two weeks? Like... Yeah, you know, does that fall back into the same conversation? Sure, sure. So generally, you know, generally speaking, again, pandemic aside, if you're going to take the body temperature, you're actually conducting a medical exam. That's considered a medical exam. But because the CDC has um, acknowledged not only the community spread of COVID-19 and issued its own precautions about it, um, it is safe to say that employers right now can measure an employee's body temperature, but, but you need to be aware, obviously, that people with COVID-19 don't always have a fever, right? So it's of some utility, but it's not, of, it's not a complete panacea, right? You could take a temperature of somebody and they're asymptomatic. Keeping that in mind in light of what we're talking about, yeah, I think you're safe to take body temperature. Well, is there any liability uh, if an employer just doesn't do anything different to bring people back to work? Like, mm -hmm. is there a minimum to be safe? Wow. So that's the multi-million dollar question that plaintiff's lawyers are going to be arguing over for years, right? Uh, what about the employer that doesn't do enough to keep um, their own employees safe? Or, or, uh, or just simply follow what are recommended guidelines. So, you know, obviously when there are, uh, when there are mandates by a local government, meaning there's uh, not allowed to have more than 10 people in a workplace and so on and so forth, you have to follow those. And if you don't, you're not only in violation of state law, you might be in violation of federal law, depending on what the feds say on that as well. Uh, that said, if an employer just simply does nothing, says, ah, I don't require social distancing. I require everyone to come back. You want to cough on everybody, knock yourself out. Yeah, I think that the employer is probably facing liability. Um, you know, it, it would be kind of difficult to show, admittedly, because employees that get sick may or may not have gotten it from the workplace, right? And it's going to be incumbent on them to prove that the workplace encouraged or um, actually caused them to get sick going to be a difficult standard for some, maybe not for everybody. But you know, if you can show that you were healthy, three people weren't, you work right next to them, within a few days of returning to work, you got sick too, it's a probably a pretty good case. So if I were employers, I would mandate at least the minimum social distancing, gloves, mask, encourage uh, hand washing, and so on. And, and again, limited only to essential workers.
Fair enough. So let, let's let's prognosticate for a second. Let's fast forward. Stop uh, using those big words, George. I know. Let's yeah. like crystal ball, right? I'm oh, ball. okay, good. Much better. Uh, let's go back. Let's go forward uh, ninety days, right? Now we're now in August. Um, most of the states are back op- reopened, like social distancing applies, et cetera, et cetera. There's still no uh, vaccine, right? So you can still get sick potentially. How does that apply to work travel now? You know, what, you know, is there a situation like I get conferences may not be happening, but what if you have to go visit a customer, Brad? What if you do have to get on a plane or drive across state lines? Yeah. Any, yeah. any, any legality or liability around that situation? Well, so as far as, you know, you just painted a scenario where the states have largely kind of resumed operations, maybe not operation as normal, but some, right, resumption of, of, of operations. And I guess the scenario would be where a employee is then set asked to travel to a location, maybe by plane, let's say, uh, for a business-related matter. Well, you know, it, we're going to convert back down to, we're going to revert rather back down to bottom line OSHA type regulations, which is an employer is not allowed to send an employee into an area in which there is a significant or likely um, uh, result of injury or death or something to that effect. Now, in the scenario you just painted where life has started to resume again, and we've, uh, what did they say, flattened the curve? Okay. Uh, I don't think that an employee is going to be able to turn around and say, you're asking me to fly somewhere, this is against the OSHA guideline because I'm likely to get hurt or die. Um, again, unless the employee has some sort of known precondition, right, that makes him or her vulnerable, put that aside for a moment. Um, your, your normal uh, circumstance in which a, a reasonably healthy employee is asked to do his job or her job, yeah, I think that they're going to have to do it. Uh, I think that they would be, the employer would be wise to tell that employee to take protective measures, give them the protective measures, maybe a mask, gloves, whatever it is. If there is something that the employer can do to minimize it, I would recommend that as well, right? Reasonably minimize if it's possible. If I had to drive, you know, I'm speaking to you from from Fort Lauderdale right now. If I had to go to um, Orlando, an employer might be well advised to say, tell him to drive. I could fly, right? I could go to Fort Lauderdale Airport, take a flight to Orlando. I could do that. Employer might be well to say, Brad, drive, I'll pay for your gas there and back. You know, that's fine. Because it's a three and a half hour drive. Um, That's not always possible, obviously. So you sort of have to kind of play, um, you have to kind of sort of play the facts that you're dealt. No, fair enough. Um, Mm -hmm. Circling back to, temperature checks, testing, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been some conversation about businesses acquiring test kits uh, instead of sending them to an urgent care, to a doctor, to an emergency room. Right. Do you, are you required to have some sort of nurse or, or licensed medical person to administer said tests? No. No, there's no requirement right now that every employer, uh, even essential workers, have a nurse on staff or a doctor on call, anything like that. Again, an employer could probably administer the test. I think that they're probably safe doing so, given the current um, uh, ADA and CDC requirements. Uh, But no, there's no requirement that I'm aware of that would require you to bring a full-time medical person uh, on premises. So so there's a question here about well, like if you are doing testing, exams, et cetera, 
how long are you required to keep that information on file? Wow. So that really is going to depend on your state and, uh, and some federal guidelines. But I can tell you this, again, that's something that depending on the state you're at, they may or may not require you to keep certain health records uh, on file for a certain period of time. But I can tell you that A, it's supposed to be, it must be confidential, treated as PHI, personal health information under HIPAA, which is the federal law that affects everyone who's listening to this, web, uh, this webcast right? Um, and then you have to treat that um, in accordance with HIPAA and high tech, which requires, for example, anyone who has access to that data as part of his or her routine job, anyone who transmits it and so on, has to sign a BA agreement, a business associate agreement, and so forth. So while the actual retention timeline is subject to, to differing locales, uh, under HIPAA, and, you know, regardless, you have to treat it as PHI and you have to have BA agreements in place. Okay. So, you know, because, you know, in the last, uh, Brad, uh, not, I almost said broadcast, broadcast, for everybody who doesn't know, broadcast, Brad does, Brad does broadcast, which you should listen to. Um, but on the previous broadcast, part one of this session uh, or of this conversation, you said, hey, uh, somebody who has a pre-existing condition, somebody who has something that would, you know, give them more than the healthy human being's chance of getting injured, right? But right. as an employer, you can't necessarily ask those questions. So how do you get that information uh, safely so that somebody doesn't say that you're, uh, you know, going, you know, what's the right word? Um, you know, maybe, you know. Uh, whatever. It's not coming to my mind, but like, how do you safely as an employer ask that question? Do you offer it to the employee to, you know, offer it on their own accord, but then like, you don't really ever know what the situation is until that information is presented. Right. Well, so is your question, oh, can word, an employer specifically ask for it? In other words, right now, I, I will defer at this moment because I would have to look up how all the different, um, uh, how the ADA mixes with the CDC regulations and HIPAA and so forth, where the intersection is. But I can tell you this, that in, in lieu of saying, yes, you can or no, you cannot ask, what you can do is you can condition employment, okay, upon a positive or upon a positive, upon a negative COVID-19 test that you can do right? You can withdraw a, 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 a job offer if the, uh, the applicant fails a COVID-19 test under the theory that the individual simply can't enter the workplace safely, right? So while I'm going to defer saying, can you ask that person? I can say that you can do things that are short of asking, but would reveal the, the answer, right? Require a test. If they fail, you delay the job. If they pass, okay, they passed. Or they, you know, if they volunteer the information, then that really helps the scenario, right? Right, right. Well, if they volunteer, they volunteer. I mean, anyone who volunteers without being asked, and again, I would advise you to not play games. I'm not saying you would, but I'm saying you don't want to play games with that. You want to say, hypothetically, if I were to ask you, what might you say? That's game playing that, that will lead you down a bad road. Um, but if somebody, while you're talking to them, you know, you say, listen, um, we, uh, as part of the job offer, we require everyone to have a COVID-19 test, you know, to fail, not to pass a 19 test, meaning you get a negative result, right? Uh, you, you don't have the virus. If that person then blurts out, oh, 
I have the virus actually, or I had the virus, but I have antibodies. Well, that's, I mean, they offered that to you. Uh, I wouldn't probably push it further than that, but you can't stop people from offering you information. Right. The same goes for if they have like, you know, the other, the, the other symptoms that could cause them, you know, additional harm, right? Whether it's diabetes, whether it's some, you know, other health condition that on top of COVID could be right. more detrimental, right? Exactly. Okay. Um, the, the, the next, you know, the, the, the next question really falls around, um, what is the best way uh, to, to make sure that you're, if a person does get hit, right? You have an employee, they came back to work, they get sick, they're now, you know, COVID, whatever. Right. Um, there's some conversation around whether that's a worker's comp claim or not. Is that true? Wow. That's something candidly that's up in the air. That is something that a lot of the workers comp attorneys that I know are debating right now, whether it is a workplace related illness or not. Um, you know, whether the injury occurred in the workplace, did it occur as a result of the workplace and so forth. I think that goes back to our original question or from a few minutes ago, which is how do you prove, right? What happens if employers don't give precautions? And then somebody gets sick. How do you prove it came from the workplace? So that's something that's going to be fleshed out in the future. But I'm pretty, pretty confident that you're going to have a lot, of, a lot of plaintiff's lawyers out there looking for that, looking to somehow tie uh, illnesses to concentrations within the workplace, right? And they'll probably look at physical location, hours, you know, break time, where is everyone sitting in their breaks? Are they all, you know, congregating together and so on? So again, to avoid those kinds of issues altogether, keep people, the answer is just keep people separate. Keep them separate. So, so to that point, and I know you're not an insurance guru, but should employer, employers be adding additional coverage or bumping up premiums as a precaution? You know, if they can. The problem with a lot of insurance uh, uh, policies is that they have a waiting period, right? Or a probationary period during which the policy doesn't apply. The same way that if you, uh, if all of a sudden I told you that a hurricane was going to hit your area tomorrow, you couldn't call up an insurance company and get hurricane coverage. Or you yeah. could, but they'd say it starts 30 days from now. It starts 60 days from now. Good luck to you. So the same thing, you know, I'm not saying that you shouldn't amp up coverage now that might apply in the future, but be very, very careful and talk to your broker because these policies don't kick in immediately. There's usually a probationary period. And even where there isn't a probationary period, very often they will disclaim existing conditions, right? Something that already exists that you know about, we're not going to insure because we might as well just write you a check now. So you got to think about those factors when you go down the insurance road. Fair enough. So I just want to take a quick pause. So guys, all these questions are really overflow from session one. So if you're in a position and you want to ask questions, feel free to submit those in the Q&A, uh, regardless of platform, whether it's Facebook or YouTube or just the Zoom. Uh, we're, we're trying to monitor all those channels to make sure that we get uh, as many of your questions answered as possible. Uh, I had one that just came in, Brad, uh, not, not too long ago. He said, have you ever created an MSP contract that was quote unquote too good and prevented the MSP and or their insurance from doing what is ethically correct, where the MSP made an error, uh, for example, lost data. Hmm. So I think the question, if I could rephrase it, is have you ever, ah, it's interesting, have you ever created a contract that's too good, 
Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, how how badly my knee jerk reaction is? Of course, all my contracts are too good. Um, but I think the question you're asking is that where the MSP does something wrong, like mm -hmm. loses data, does something wrong, uh, it prevents liability. So right. you have, you know. Mm, acting like a lawyer now, uh, you know, putting on the, the lawyers, the, the, the contract lawyer hat, taking off the COVID hat. Um, the, your, your question has two parts to it, right? There is the part of, was it done intentionally and recklessly, or was it done unintentionally? Okay. I could tell you this, every contract I write and every contract that, um, that you have, any of the people listening to this should have something in there limiting their liability under normal, albeit negligent circumstances. Uh, I had a duty of care. I should have known that this could happen. I made a mistake. You should be able to limit your, you should limit your liability under those circumstances. Now, if you act recklessly or intentionally, I don't care what your contract says. I don't care who wrote it. I could have written it. Anyone could have written it. If it, if you act, if you do something intentionally or recklessly, then you are not going to be able to hide behind a limitation of liability. You're simply not. No court is going to enforce a limitation of liability where you intentionally did something wrong. Okay. Not, I'm sorry, it was an honest mistake. I mean, intentionally, like you were pissed, right? Or reckless. Now, reckless is a kind of an interesting standard. When is someone acting recklessly as opposed to just making a mistake, right? Some people would say, oh, you just made a mistake. Other people would say, wait a minute, you're an expert in your field, in the technology field. Anything you do that's a mistake, that's like reckless because you should have known better. You're an expert, right? Okay, so- By who's who who standard, Brad? By who's standards, right, exactly. Um, you know, we just, we had a case uh, where a, a client uh, failed to um, uh, uh, properly install backup, BDR, uh, a BDR solution. Now, is that a mistake? Yeah, that's a mistake. That's negligence, right? But what if uh, under that circumstance, what if um, the, the software was actually pinging the client every day saying, hey, I'm not installed right, right? Sending an error message saying, check this software, check the install. I'm not installed, I'm not installed. I'm not. And the client purposely and intentionally saw that and said, eh, never mind, right? Have we moved into more of a reckless area? Perhaps, perhaps, right? Because now you'd say, well, it's one thing to make a mistake. The fact that you're ignoring this now might make it reckless. So there's your difference between intentional and reckless. And you got to be, you know, everything is going to be fact sensitive. So, no, fair enough. To that, it's interesting. To that point, another question that came through right behind it: uh, Should we require a client to specifically sign off if they've refused to put the backup solution in? Hey, mm. I'm coming in. You need backup. It's part of my deal. They say, nope, don't want it, don't need it, won't pay for it. Now what? Right. Right. Wow. So, you know, the question of whether how much you need the client to um, say mea culpa is, is always a good, you know, a, a, a fair issue. Some uh, MSPs take this stance of, look, I've offered it. They didn't take it. I only offer what's in my contract. If they don't have it, they don't have it. Okay. That's, that's a fair position, right? I mean, it is what it is. All right. Uh, the, um, other MSPs, if you're going to be more conservative and you really want to cross your T's and dot your I's, will issue a decline letter. 
something that is a partner side from the documents that they're signing. And they say, listen, this is what you have been offered. Let's say a BDR solution. And this is, and you've declined it as a result, you will not get it. Okay. Now, my thought is those are good things to issue. Why? Legally speaking, do they position you any better? Mm, I would argue, yeah, just a little bit, maybe just slightly better. If your MSA is written correctly and your SOWs are written correctly, they should say, if it isn't in here, you don't get it. Okay. If it's not in here, you don't get it. That's it. Okay. So sometimes the answer is just simply, that's it. It's not here. You don't get it. All right. The, um, uh, however, what, what does a declination letter do? It gives you two things. One, it manages expectations. So your customer now knows in case he or she didn't read that MSA or the SOW, it's right in front of him or her. You're not getting this. Okay. So that's important. You're managing expectations. And anyone who's seen me speak before who has hired me, they know I'm very big into managing your customer's expectations. All right. The second thing it does, though, is it's a marketing opportunity, right? It's a marketing opportunity. If I said to you, George, so you've declined my BDR service. Yes, I have. Okay. So let me just, in paper, let me write down what we've done. You've declined my BDR as a result. And now I'm going to list every parade, every horrible thing that will march in this parade, right? Uh, right up. Um, if data is, is um, uh, altered, we can't retrieve earlier versions. If you get a crypto virus, we can't retrieve any of your data. If you lose some of your data or part of your data, that's irretrievably lost. If you, um, you know, need something in the past that was deleted, uh, we can't. I mean, you just start rattling off all these different things. By the time I, you're done reading that list, you're either going to be unconscious or you're going to say, oh my God, I really think I need this service, right? I really yeah. need this. It gives you another chance to market it. So George is going to come back to me and say, wait a minute. So you're telling me if I accidentally delete, I put it in the recycle bin or something, you can't get, well, yeah, well, recycle bins are, you know, whatever it is, we, we empty it every 30 days after that, it's gone, gone forever. No one could get that back. You know, so if that's something you do, we really need to rethink it. You're going to start rethinking. So I like declination letters, as I call them, you know, decline letters, declination letters. I think they're a good thing. No, it's, that's great advice. Um, so coming about, you know, I, I know we're way into working from home at this point, right? Everybody's pretty oh God, comfortable. Yes. Yeah. So, so the, you know, the problem is that there is still a lot of rush, duct tape, Band-Aid, bubblegum glue to get it to go. And there's still this cleanup that's happening, right? After the fact. So back to, hey, you know, I'm an MSP. I have customers in regulated industries, right? HIPAA, SOX, whatever, financial, government. And the home computer now, right, of the remote worker, even in the MSPs, you know, staff or the people they're supporting, right? How do you, how do you go back now and remediate the fact that this is equipment that's not, that was never meant to be used in a commercial space or in a business case? Like, how do you fill the gap in? Because there's a liability that could be creeping up, right? Look, let me give yeah. you a quick example, Brad. Mm -hmm. Every, there's, this, there's this misconception that, oh, well, the government relaxed HIPAA rules, so it's mm -hmm. okay. Uh, but no, no, no. They relaxed HIPAA rules for video telemedicine. They didn't right. stop encryption and all this other requirements and reporting and all this, right? hundred percent so, right. So, so how do we how do we like bring this back to earth so that these people who are winging it 
uh, so to say, realize that that's not allowed for the long term. Well, so again, it also, you bring up a great point, right? Which is just because rules have been relaxed in some areas, it doesn't relax the rules in all areas. When you couple that with the fact that when I were working within a distributed workforce, work from home, work from remote locations and so on, you now have customers that will have significant privacy and security issues. And they're different, right? Security is uh, the ability to keep things secure from prying eyes, uh, that you know, unauthorized access. Privacy is keeping those who are able to see it, making sure they don't further disseminate it. And so, and there are two very different things that need to be focused on by MSPs. Now, um, what to do? Well, first things first, you have to look at your documents and see what you've promised. If you have not promised a regulatory compliant solution, okay, if you haven't promised that, then if I were you, meaning if I were the MSP, I would not start giving advice about a regulatory compliant uh, solution, or I wouldn't start giving advice about what they need to do with regard to a particular regulation, because quite candidly, you might mess it up, right? You might know this much about HIPAA or this much about SOX or this much about PCI, which is more of a contractual thing than a, a statute thing. But the point is, you know, this much to be dangerous. So, if you're not promising a regulatory solution, don't offer a regulatory solution. That said, it's probably a wise thing to remind your customers that if they are subject to these things, if they're subject to HIPAA, if they're subject to SOX, Sarbanes-Oxley, whatever it is, financial institutions, the idea is that they should know that these issues exist and that privacy concerns exist and confidentiality exists. And if necessary, you bring in somebody you know, who, who understands these issues, who can consult the MSP and the customer, if that's what the customer wants. What we see uh, happen in these kinds of situations, as well as generally, when MSPs in their zeal to help the customer, they offer solutions that go beyond their pay grade. We see that quite often. And then they give the bit wrong advice. Oh, you know, go home and set up a VPN, you'll be fine. That's all you need to do to, to be HIPAA compliant. Well, Anyone who's, you know, if people who are listening to this know better than I do that that's not what you need to be HIPAA compliant. A VPN is one tool in a large toolkit of what would help you become compliant, but it doesn't make you compliant, right? You could have a VPN, but you're looking at people's medical records in the middle of a Starbucks, you have a serious HIPAA violation, right? VPN or no VPN. So the idea is that as MSPs are confronted with these issues and they have customers moving off-site. It's good to explain that there are privacy concerns, confidentiality concerns, but I wouldn't get into the weeds too much unless you're competent to do so, or unless you have counsel on your side, on the MSP side that says, tell them this, tell them that, and so forth. But generally speaking, MSPs don't do that and they shouldn't. Uh, here's a very specific example about John Paulden and out a little bit. Um, before the pandemic hit, the economy was really booming in the United States and employment, unemployment was at an all time low, right? I don't think anyone's disagreeing with that or very historic lows. Um, and in this case, you were uh, much easier to be able to bring in people from outside of the country on like work visas or, you know, be able to recruit people that, you know, because the, the you may not have been able to have that talent pool available because again, 
there were more jobs out there than people. Now the reverse has happened, right? There's many millions of people on unemployment. And now you're in a situation where you can't sponsor that person or you can't, you know, you go to apply and they decline it because they say, well, no, there's a val- there's many people available that can fill this position. You know, you know, is there any, you know, what's your opinion on, you know, what a per- an employer in that position should do? So where you're, where we're now sort of leading into is the area of immigration law, right? And H-1B visas and so on and so forth. And that is a very specialized area. No one should be dabbling in it. So either you do immigration law or you do not. And like that, I know enough about this much to be dangerous. I can tell you that the issue that you're listener that your viewer has presented is an issue that a lot of employee employers are facing right now. That is not the first time I've heard that question raised, not just in this forum in general. And I can tell you that immigration lawyers right now are dealing with exactly that kind of an issue. So what I can say is it's not unique. It is something that they're dealing with right now. An an immigration lawyer is the person that that person should be speaking with. And, um, you know, I could tell you that it's probably one of those questions that could be fair, answered fairly easily. And if they need referrals, uh, you know, have them contact me through you or they'll have my information at the end of the show. We could send out, you know, immigration lawyers that can answer those questions. Fair you know? enough. That's why I tried to like broaden the situation a little bit. Yeah. All, all good. Um, well, sometimes you know what you know and you know what you don't know, right? I, I understand. I, it's better to be upfront about it in the right. beginning, right? Um, so back to, there was in the last session, part one, we had a lot of conversation around MSA and what the MSA yeah. says and what's included or, you know, your constitution, you said, right? Yes. Uh, and you also suggested that if your MSA hasn't been revamped or reviewed in the last three to five years or so, I feel like that's a computer replacement window, but three to five years or so uh, that you should have it reviewed. Um, So what happens if we call up Brad, we say, Brad, my MSA hasn't been reviewed in years. I need you to take a look at it. We're not quite out of this pandemic yet. And now I now need to go back to my customers or my existing, you know, people who are getting service and get them to now agree to the new one. Right. Right. Um, yeah, and maybe this is more of a business question, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. It is, but it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. What is the, like, is there a tactful way, you know, without a renewal coming up or without an event coming up to go back to your customers and say, Hey, you know, I know, you know, I know this may not be the best time, but we've had to revamp our, our uh, services agreement because of all of the various things that have popped up because of this. Can you please review what's now? Yeah. What's your best advice then? Wow. So again, it depends on the circumstance. I'm not skirting your question because I'm going to answer it, but I'm going to preface it by saying that, you know, there are times that, um, what was uh, Kenny Rogers, the gambler? You got to know when to hold him, know when to fold him, know when to walk away and know when to run, right? Sometimes you got to know when to show your cards. Sometimes you don't show your cards. If you have an agreement that you think is deficient in some way, issues have not yet been raised. Maybe they will never be raised. You know, there might be a circumstance where you'd be well advised to just be quiet and just keep providing your service and see how it goes. And when this all settles out, when there's a renewal time or or something like that, that's the time, the more diplomatic way to offer a better agreement. All right. Sometimes uh, if you have no agreement or you're just really starting to do high risk things that are putting you or your your employees at risk, uh, that might be a time when you just simply have to uh, you know, show your cards and say, listen, this is what we need to do. So how do you do that? 
how do you approach a client or a customer that either has a junkie agreement or no agreement, or you know maybe it's not junkie, just efficient, and say, this is my new agreement. Um, if you've heard me speak at a lot of these different venues that, that you, know, you and I know them well, right? We do the circuit uh, during otherwise normal times, um, I, normal times. Uh, I have offered a strategy to people that I find works quite well. And it is this, operating under the theory that most people, when they get PDFs, right, that can't be easily edited, they think that these things are written in stone, operating under that principle, as well as the principle that when you reference a attorney as general counsel, and you throw in words like uh, regulatory or uniformity, that people seem to respond. They do, they just seem to respond. I don't know why, maybe, they're, maybe there'll one day be a psychological study on it. Um, but my, my general thought is, well, you write a letter, dear George. Um, in a routine housekeeping audit uh, that our general counsel was doing recently, uh, he discovered that you and we are not operating under the most recent version of our master service agreement. Our general counsel requires for regulatory and or uniformity purposes us to have uh, harmony across all of our agreements with all of our clients. As such, we've attached the MSA, a statement of work, to this email. It uh, not only explains uh, what you are what we can do for you, but what you should expect from us. You'll notice it doesn't change the service. It doesn't change the fee. We haven't extended the term, but it does have other terms that we feel are important to better explain our relationship. So please review it. We ask that you sign it. This will become our new agreement moving forward, right? And if, of course, if you have any questions, please let us know. Most of the time, most meaning more than half the time, people will sign that. Why? because they heard general counsel and uniformity and regulatory. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. I mean, all right, for regulatory purposes, doesn't have to be federal regulation. It could be internal regulation. We are regulating our contracts in a way that we want uniformity. There you go. Uh, it's not bad faith. You're just not laying out the, the landscape in the way that um, you know, needs to be with total transparency. You're just simply saying regulatory and uniformity. That's all. And so if they sign it moving forward, that's your agreement. Uh, if they don't sign it, well, then that's not your agreement because you cannot unilaterally change an agreement, right? You can't, I can't just simply say, this is what I want, so we're changing it. The only time you can do that is if the agreement you want to change says you can do that. And the credit card companies have become experts at this, right? Their agreement says, we can change this at any time for any reason by giving you notice. And if you don't like it, stop using our credit card. We're done. And that's the sort of the quid pro quo. We can change it, but you could also get out of the contract if you want. So the idea of unilateral change, if your underlying agreement says, we can change our MSA at any time. If we do, you are allowed to get out, right? Otherwise, you know, the new agreement rules the roost. If it says that, you're in good shape. Most MSAs don't say that. Most customers would never accept that. So you're better off, you know, what do they say? You get more um, flies with uh, honey than vinegar. You use the honey approach. Our general counsel wants this. We ask that you do it. Call us if you have questions. If they don't, then you have a business decision to make. If they don't sign it, you have to make a decision. What would you... 
um, you know, recommend to an MSP who yeah. had mandated on-sites as part of their scope of work. And now the customer saying, well, because you didn't do the on-site, I want a discount because you didn't show up. Well, I didn't show up because there was a pandemic and I couldn't show up or wasn't easily able to. How do you handle that situation? Yeah, it's a problem. It's a problem, you know, and it relates to what we call a force majeure. Okay. Uh, and I've read a lot of people giving a lot of different opinions online. Um, some are right, some are wrong. I would ask that you check my LinkedIn profile. I actually wrote a, an article on this, which is right. Um, here's the deal. A pandemic, generally speaking, is not a force majeure. That's right. You can quote me. Brad said a pandemic is not a force majeure. Generally speaking, it is not. A pandemic can result in an economic downturn, right? Or difficulties in performing services. However, the idea is, is that the, the parties were supposed to have thought about general downturns and difficulties when they made the contract. Now, right. when might a pandemic be a force majeure? It might be a force majeure if it becomes reasonably impossible for the person to do the service. Reasonably impossible. What does that mean? Well, uh, again, I'm in Fort Lauderdale. If all of a sudden there was a regulation that said, you cannot come in or out of Fort Lauderdale unless you live here. Okay, so now your worker tries to meet me. You don't, they don't live here. It's impossible. That's something that's reasonably impossible. You can't do it. If there's a lockdown, if there's a quarantine preventing, physically preventing, Okay, but the general, well, you could have worn a mask and worn gloves and you could have done it, right? Well, yeah, I guess if they wore masks and gloves. I was scared though. Scared is not a force majeure. Scared mm -hmm. is not a force majeure, okay? So, you know, how do you resolve this? And what do you do when you're unable to live up to a service level? And this goes to your question. You don't meet a service level because your employees simply don't want to go there or you're scared to send them, whatever it is. Well, if it's a reasonable impossibility for them to do it, it is a force majeure. We could not get there because cops stopped us, right? If we went there, we would be violating a law of some sort, even a, a temporary regulation, force majeure. If that doesn't exist, then you have uh, one of two approaches. You're either going to explain to the customer what it is that's going on and offer a suitable alternative, or you're gonna give a credit somewhere down the line. But in truth, in truth, you're kind of in a bad position. You really don't have the upper hand by saying pandemic, no one's going out. Not good enough, not good enough. So you're gonna to wanna to offer a credit, you're gonna to wanna to offer something to avoid calling lawyers that then have to deal with this later on. Um, Along those lines, what I would suggest is that if you're going to rely on or think about these kinds of uh, uh, difficulties in the future in service levels, put it in there. Put it in your service level. Don't rely on a force majeure. Put it in there. Should there come a time when there is a pandemic or something to that effect that reasonably prevents us from engaging or putting our technicians out on the road, then we will offer you this, or we will offer you that solution. Put it in your SLA. Don't be scared. I mean, we certainly have learned quite a bit from this, right? We now know that these are things that can happen. They're not necessarily force majeures. So write them out long form in your SLAs. Okay. Shifting gears back to, to Corona land for a second. Hmm. Um, employee is scared to come back to work. They're claiming that they're, you know, they're, you know, super depressed or, you know, they have a lot of anxiety about coming back to work. 
as an employer, should you be offering them some sort of counseling? Offering them counseling? Well, okay. So again, like all these kinds of questions about, uh, they're very fact sensitive. The question is, well, is the person just scared? Like we all kind of are, right? Uh, about coming back to work or does he or she have a mental uh, impairment? right? Like something that really limits his or her ability to proceed in a normal, you know, due course of life. Um, if they have a real mental impairment, I mean, this isn't a, listen, I am very worried about this and that and so on. That's not necessarily a mental impairment that is, qualifies under the ADA. If they say, you know, I'm so scared, I'm hearing voices. I'm not making a joke now. Like, you know, something that really indicates now they have a mental impairment, right? I'm hearing voices, I'm hallucinating, and my blood pressure shot up so high that I actually passed out. And now you have a little bit of a different scenario. And in those cases, they may qualify under the ADA um, uh, to not uh, be forced to go back to work. They may have the ability to, you know, take disability leave. Uh, but your general idea of an employee is a little bit nervous to go back is probably insufficient in and of itself as a basis for the employee to say, I'm not going to follow the direction of the company. I'm not going to you know, engage in employment. And that's the way it is. I don't think an employee is in a good position if that's the, the stance that he or she is taking. Um, and on the lines of, again, coronavirus land, I call it. Um, Coronavirus. <laughs> That's what I, it's like. It's like an imaginary world. Um, How do we get out of that land, George? How do we, uh, I, I, I really want or something? I really want to be out of that land. I think everybody else does to some Thank degree. Um, if an employee refuses to perform their duties on the ground of, um, they just don't feel comfortable leaving their house because of coronavirus. And now they're claiming to, take sick time, take vacation time, or even forcing like an FMLA type situation. What's like, I know it's a case by case basis, but generally, right. you know, is that grounds for, Hey, you know, if you can't do the job, I can't use you. Terminate. Well, again, yeah. it goes back to what we were just saying, right? Which is, it depends on the grounds on which the employee is raising the objection. If he or she says that they have a physical or mental impairment, well, then they do have the right under the ADA to, take advantage of our disability laws. They do. General fear of going back is not a disability. It just isn't. I mean, and I'm not making light of that. Uh, you know, I have uh, plenty of people I know that are simply scared of going back eventually when their workplace opens up. And I have empathy for that, but that's not a disability. Okay. That's something entirely different. Uh, when you're talking about a um, just simple fear, simple, when you're talking about a fear, then I would say, you know, the employee is not on stable ground, meaning that employee can be terminated if he or she refuses to work, uh, given reasonable accommodations that the employer is willing to do. You know, we'll social distance, we'll give you masks and so on. But, and we even test people as they come in or they have been tested. An employee is just the general fear is not gonna be enough. It's simply not. Interesting. Um, from a, uh, and maybe this is more of a business question, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, let's flip the, the script. What if you are looking to hire people? What if you're looking to now bring add to your staff during this time? Right. Um, 
but you're unable to go through a normal interview, right? You can do the Zoom and, and what have you, but you may not be able to see what the normal things that you usually would, test them or you know, have your staff interact with them or whatever. Okay. Uh, can you extend probationary periods? Can you put other Wait. wrinkles into the equation? Oh, most definitely. So you can, for example, you can uh, uh, delay start dates if you want uh, for people who have either um, uh, have the symptoms or are unable to be tested for the symptoms, right? Because again, as I said earlier, under current regulations and the current interpretation of CDC guidelines uh, that were issued just a few weeks ago, an employer can require a, 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 an employee or potential employee to fail, to fail, to pass. God, I don't even know which way to put it, to show that they, that person does not have COVID-19, right? So I guess you would fail the pass the test you would pass the test you don't have it um along those lines if you're taking reasonable precautions to protect the sanctity and the uh security and the uh, uh the health of the workplace yeah you can extend probation periods you can extend start dates you can require people to come in with doctor's notes if that is to help uh, maintain the health and security of your workplace sure what if testing still isn't regularly reachable for your employees? Now yeah. what? It's a problem. <laughs> now what? <laughs> then that's I mean, that. You, <laughs> How's you, that for an answer? Don't, don't come back to work. Then, don't come back yeah. to work until you have a a, a, a clear test. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're sort of kind of rolling the dice, right? And here's the problems with with plaintiffs' lawyers, and you know what I think of those people. Um, that you're sort of in a uh, a difficult position, right? If you bring people back to work and testing wasn't available and someone gets sick, they're going to say, see, you brought back people back to work too early. If you uh, don't bring them back to work, well, then you may be going under because, you know, Lord knows loans aren't going to keep you afloat forever. So it's a very difficult position that you're in. And I think that employers are going to, for at least the short term, be faced with exactly the situation you just brought up. Testing is simply not available. It's not, regardless of what you hear coming from TV from time to time. Testing is not readily available. And even if it is, it takes a number of days for the results to come back. You know, we don't have, unless we play for a major sports team or we are in uh, the higher echelons of the government, we don't all have access to a test that gives us the results in 15 minutes. We don't have that. So this is a problem that employers are going to face for a very long time. And I would say that you have to balance it. It's a business need versus a health need, social distance, mask, take reasonable precautions, and you should be okay, hopefully, if that's okay. an answer. Um, so I'm gonna like put out a final call for any questions that might come through while, while we let, wait for that to happen. Brad, mm -hmm. if you, you know, best piece of advice you could conjure up that you would give somebody uh, in the community today. Wow, about... Yeah. About COVID, Just about contracting, first, about first, what are we like, talking about? Hey, you you talk to a lot of people on a day to day basis, Brad. You see a yeah. lot of problems. So, like on recurrent <laughs> events, coming out of the top of your head, first thing, best piece of advice you would give somebody? Uh, I think that a a major issue that people need to think about right now. I don't know if it's the best, but it's certainly something that is the hot. It's sort of the topic du jour, which is people need to think MSPs need to think not just about moving their customers to a distributed workforce and all the issues that are, arise from that, confidentiality, privacy, security, you know, making sure that you're paid to do that, 
making sure that the scope creep hasn't incurred, you know, hasn't um, uh, delved into your company's uh, contracts. That's fine. What companies and MSPs really need to think about now, as crazy as it sounds, because there's not necessarily a light at the end of the tunnel yet, but there will be one day, is moving these people back, transitioning back. Because at some point, all these people that you moved out of the workforce are going to come back to the, to the office location, right? Um, some will remain, right? Distributed workforce, I think, will remain in place into the future. But a lot of those people are going to want to come back. And when you transition them back, you need to think about how that's going to happen. First of all, you as an MSP, you're going to get a lot of calls because it's all going to start to happen within a very short period of time because everyone wants to get back to work. So within a two or three or four week period, all your clients are going to start saying, I need you to bring my people back. So you have to be ready for that. You need the infrastructure for that. The second thing is you need to make sure that your contracts um, uh, cover the transition back. You don't want clients just thinking that, oh, well, you, you, you distributed it us, so you'll bring us back for free right? You need to think about all of those things about bringing the clients back to the workplace, transitioning your, uh, your agents, right? Your monitoring agents and so on from the home devices back to the central devices, right? Business controlled and so on. All of those things you're going to need to think about. Now, you're not transitioning people back at this moment, probably not for a few weeks at least, right? So start thinking about that now. Now is the time that you get your team together and say, okay, three months from now, four months from now, everyone's going to want to go back. Let's start working on this now. That's my bit of advice. Start thinking about the, the, the end now. You'd be well advised to do that. That's, that's actually great advice. And I'm sure that, that you know, turns the wheels for some people thinking on all yeah. sorts of different avenues. You know, Darren actually made a comment on the fly here. He said, in New York City, people may never go back. Yeah. Uh, I hope not. I, I mean, I hope they go back at some point, Darren, but uh, I understand what you're saying. You know, either you're in a hot spot and probably ground zero for most of the country. Yeah. You know, I'm a former New Yorker, as you can hear from my voice. I could talk like this if I got it, right? Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. So yeah, Long Islander. Um, I think that uh, New York has been hit especially hard. And I think that people are going to be very slow to go back to what was. It will recover. You know, especially once a vaccine comes out, you know, God willing, it'll be a vaccine, we'll all be fine. But um, until then, it's going to be a very slow process back, very slow in New York. I think that other areas will probably start to experiment with that a lot faster than New York City. Yeah. Fair enough. Brad, how do people get a hold of you? Is there any special thing that you're putting out to the people who attended today? Uh, mm -hmm. Of on that front. Sure. So... I will, if I can do this correctly, and I think I can, yep. uh, if I could share my screen, which I cannot do yet, but uh, I will at some point. Um, you go, I, you're going to free me up? You're going to give me control? There, do have there you go. You're good. There I am. Okay. So if they want to reach me, um, what they should do is contact me there. So you should see my information up on the screen at this point. Do you see yep. that? 
Okay, so the idea is, is that if they give us a ring, um, we are willing to give as a thank you to the MSP initiative, a free consult to the people who are listening. Just make sure that you mention MSP initiative webcast. Make sure you mention that uh, so we could give George the credit. Uh, credit I'm not getting in. anything, I promise. No, 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 no. I mean, just credit like a thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, the email is up there, info at bradleygross.com. Include your name, your company, your title, your phone number, mention the MSP initiative, and then we will reply to you to look for, uh, so you should look for that, uh, 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 that email and um, be happy to talk with all of you guys and um, talk to you about your needs and uh, what needs to be done in these uh, very strange times. Uh, best prediction, NFL. Uh, we could be able to go to a game this year or no? Uh, will I be able to go to a game this year? Well, first of all, let me now get out of sharing this because I want to answer that face to face. Okay. Uh, here we go. There we go. Okay. Now, my prediction. Uh, no. Okay. Unfortunately, I think we're going to be watching that from uh, from the comfort of our living room. Uh, hopefully the team in green will be successful. Now that could be the Jets or it could be the Eagles. We don't know. You have a Jets fan and an Eagles fan on. Oh, wow. I, I came totally unprepared for that. I came totally unprepared for what you just did. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I don't know if we're going to be seeing NFL live. I, I don't know how you do social distancing uh, in that, in that kind of a venue, but we'll see. I hope All right. so. All right. Last, last, last question. Since you're in Florida. Yes. Uh, Tom Brady. Yes. Be playoff bound this year? <laughs> oh, gee. Uh, I think, you know what, it's hard. It, it, it's interesting you, you ask that because I am, I have always been, since I'm from New York and there's always the New York-New England rivalry, even in football, I've always been a, oh, Tom Brady isn't so good. Oh, he's overrated. Even though, you know, he's like one of the best ever. Um I think that you put the best ever or one of the best ever in that in, in any team, they stand a damn good chance. That's it. I mean, there's a reason why they brought him down here, right? They didn't bring him down here to come into third or fourth or fifth place. They came down here to be in the Super Bowl. So I wouldn't bet against it. Okay, fair enough. Everybody we'll on the prognostication, uh, betting, uh, you know, uh, level, take that for whatever it's worth. There you go. Uh, appreciate everyone for joining today, MSP Initiative. But, you know, we're just trying to put out good thought leadership for everyone during this time and beyond. Uh, we do this every Tuesday and Thursday. So the next one is Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern or New York time. And we really appreciate you guys for taking a little bit of time to, uh, to join Brad again. Uh, I think we had a lot of great questions today. And, of course, this will be recorded and you can play back online. Brad, I really appreciate your time. I know it's valuable. I promise not to call you on drive-by questions too often. Okay. Uh, but thank you for joining. Thanks for having me, George. Take care. Be safe. Bye, guys.